Acts 13, starting at verse 36. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe even if one tells it to you. As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. And after, meeting of the, after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord, but when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you, tr you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed, and the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city, stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You know, this is one of those times when scripture really sounds, you know, it's just a good story, isn't it? It's a very compelling story and you listen to it and, and you can picture it all. It's really easy to vividly imagine what you're hearing. And I wanna come back to a line there though that said, uh, as they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas. That's really great. That's just amazing. See, we're back in Antioch. You remember last week we were talking about what was going on in Antioch and how the, the, the native Jewish neighborhood was filled with Christians who once were Jews and came there to live, but they didn't interact with people outside of their Jewish community. And so as a result, the church in Jerusalem sent Barnabas, who was a Cypriot. He was, he was a Hellenist. He was a Gentile. He came and he reached out to the Gentiles. And when he saw the tension that existed between the Jewish believers and the Gentile believers, he sought Paul or Saul of Tarsus and he brought him to Antioch. And now we see 
Saul of Tarsus at work witnessing to the world. And who better than Paul? I mean, he was a Jew. He was a radical Jew until he met Jesus. And then after 11 years of incubation, you know, after 11 years of being rewritten, of, of his, having a script rewritten, you know how we talked last week about the renewing of your minds? Well, it took 11 years to renew Paul's mind and to get him ready. And just as an aside, if there's something I can definitely testify in my personal witness, it is that God will certainly answer your prayers and God will certainly reveal what God has called you to do. But rest assured that God will do it in God's own time. <laughs> and it may take years before you see where God intends for you to be and what God intends for you to do. And it may surprise you as it has often surprised me that you have acquired gifts and understandings that you didn't know you possessed. And then you realize after you look backward over your path, God was driving you this direction all along. And I've often said everything on my resume, which is quite long and colorful, trust me, has been applied to my service here at Shiloh as a pastor. And so Paul, being a once radicalized Jew and now a Christian convert, who also speaks Greek and therefore can easily interact with the Hellenists, and who is also a Roman citizen, is speaking a message that's revolutionary to the Jews, and it's overflowing with grace to the Hellenists, and generally speaking, it's irrelevant to the Romans. And then in his audience, of course, there are those shrewd political operatives who are scoffers. And we see that whole story playing out in what we just heard, don't we? It's a demographic for the ages. It really is. Because I'm not going to tell you how this story relates to our present age because it should be really obvious as we go along. You know that old saying? I've used this many times in my life because it has often been very true in my life. There are none so blind as those who will not see. And it is, I think, what is represented by the Romans who were present. Now Romans in this age are like the Egyptians of the age of old when the Israelite people were taken away from the world where their worldliness was being challenged and they were being asked to come to a relationship with God that was unique in human history. And so the Romans are that era's representative world or worldliness. And that's why for them this message is irrelevant. They simply cannot hear it. They simply ignore it. It's just noise to them. And they are indifferent to this message. It is very hard to get through to people who are so deeply rooted in the world of the flesh. Because you have to get their attention for one thing, and that, in this case, is virtually impossible. Now, Paul alluded to something in that passage. I should have kept my Bible open for longer, but in that passage, he alluded to something that he's also brought up in Romans and again in Ephesians that has been interpreted as predestination in some circles. And it is a good discussion to have someday, but not today. 
that's not my point today. But rest assured that there is a vital argument being made by the Apostle Paul and Luke in his written account of the Acts of the Apostles is saying that like these Romans, there are those who just ain't going to get it. They're just not going to get it. There are always going to be people like that. This is why we see that phrase once again in this passage that says they shook the dust off their feet and moved on. Where else did you hear that in the Bible? Did not Jesus also say to them, look, if they don't want to hear it, if they just aren't going to get it, shake the dust off your feet and move on. As a pastor, as an evangelist, as a lover of Christ who just wants others to love him too, I can tell you that that is one of the most liberating things Jesus ever said. Shake the dust off your feet and move on. You know you have that ability. In fact, I've mentioned this a few times during this series of messages for our COVID life in 2020, and I'll say it again. There is a temptation among some believers especially to think that it's all riding on them. That it's all up to me. Like, if I don't do this, this person's going to go to hell and be damned for eternity. Don't think so highly of yourself. I remind myself of this all the time. If I, quote, fail, what is that to the Lord God? Isn't God able to make God's will done and happen according to his intention and timeline without my help? Certainly. And so it's important for us to not take ourselves too seriously. There is more going on about us than there is about God's plan and what God intends for the people around us. And so there's nothing wrong with shaking the dust off your feet when you have become clear on the fact that you aren't going to make anybody get it. It's liberating to know that you just I'm telling you as a preacher, and I can't, I honestly don't even remember how many sermons I've preached at this point in my life, but the most liberating news to the preacher is preach the gospel, preach the Bible. And if they get it, they get it. If they don't, shake the dust off your feet, carry on. Now all of that can be misinterpreted by a person who's perhaps proud or uh, insecure. And so rest assured, too, that God will deal with you. And so make it a point to be faithful in what you can be faithful in. That's where we go next, the Hellenists. There are going to be Romans out there, worldly people that you just can't get through to, and God can't get through to them. Perhaps even on Judgment Day, they'll be introduced to Jesus, the Jesus they never met. And perhaps on Judgment Day, they'll have the opportunity to accept him and still won't. But now the Hellenists, these are in this context, in this era, in the life of the church, is, this, is, this is the world as we experience it. This is the, the commoners. The Hellenists speak the common language. They are the ones who 
do all the blue collar work and the middle management jobs and they're the ones that uh, that you know are made up of mothers who are caring for their children and husbands and caring for the elders in their home and they're working closely with their neighbors to care for their community with the nurture and the feeding and the general uh, loving motherly things that are so unique to women in that way and then there are the men who are earning the livings and they're working hard to provide for safety and security and shelter for their families and they're trying to work with other men for the betterment of the community and for the protection of the community and and they are the ones who are are running the local food stalls and meet at the well for water and they're the ones who are making the things that need to be made and and trading for the things that everyone needs these are the average people and they are in this case hellenists are people that we would call irreligious or perhaps just non-believers and what we find here in this story and often in its many universal examples throughout the era of the church is that a lot of times the only reason these people don't believe is because they've never been told. Because they don't know what they don't know. And Paul's affinity with them and Barnabas' affinity with them gave them a credibility as soon as they arrived. Well, this is one of us. This is one of our people. I've, I've watched these Jews. They keep to their own. They stay in their neighborhoods. They do their own thing. And, and I hear that this Christian thing is a Jewish movement, so I'm not that interested. And then along comes Paul who says, I was a Jew, and then I met Jesus. I'm a Roman citizen, but I ain't Roman. And then he says, I speak Greek, because I'm like you. And then he tells them about the grace of God. He tells them that what some Jews rejected is now available to them. That the grace of God is free and ready to be received by all people. And therefore they too can have eternal life and not return to dust and oblivion when they die. They too can have a more meaningful life because it is informed by the grace of God through the Holy Spirit. And you know, they are the ones who come up to Paul and Barnabas afterwards and they go, I've been going to church all my life. I've never heard anything like that. Would you please come back next week and do some more? Isn't that amazing? Oh, by the way, there's a perfect picture of the church there. After the service was over, there was another meeting in the parking lot. There's church. There's a group of men leaning over the back of a pickup truck, talking to one another about stuff and things. There's a group of women clustered in some corner somewhere, talking about things and stuff. And there's a bunch of children running back and forth trying not to get run over by a donkey cart or something while mom and dad are somewhat distracted. Now the Jews in this story, they represent the religious church attending people who consider themselves good and on that basis they're certain that God will reward them. They are religious and admired by peers who are like them. In other words, many times when we want to live 
in a particular way that is comfortable for us, we surround ourselves with other people who share that value, and that way we just keep right on encouraging each other to be mediocre. And this is all too often the case in this church that grew sort of in the midst of the Jewish community. They got syncretized. Remember that word from last week? They sort of had their whole religious culture and all religious culture around them sort of meld into one common culture. And forgive me, Catholic friends, but it means that everybody eats fish on Fridays during Lent because that's when they have all the fish sales and that's when the bargains are on at the restaurants. You can get two fish sandwiches for $3 instead of the usual one for $1.99, right? And so in a way, it is an evidence of the syncretized church that we all do certain things. I know for a fact that my home belonged to a Protestant family, but when Mar Laura was dealing, uh, digging in her front flower bed shortly after we bought the home, she found one of those little plastic figurines you're supposed to bury when you want to sell your house. They got syncretized or superstitious, and I mean no disrespect to them, but this is what I believe the Jews represent in this story. And then there are the scoffers who are mentioned in the prophetic quotation. They're people who really just don't want anything to upset the status quo. And for them, the status quo puts them in a higher authority and a higher perceived uh, status than others. They don't like to upset the status quo or have anyone upset the status quo because they're comfortable, but only if they always get what they want. If their ego and their tastes are always catered to. These are the ones who will push back and fight hard against a revolutionary message and a revolutionary preacher and these will be the ones who will push back against a fledgling group of spirit-filled believers. These are the ones that Satan will use to, to attack the vulnerable children in the faith, those who are babes in the faith. And this is why the elders in the faith have to be very vigilant to protect the children of the faith against the scoffers. The scoffers are the ones who drove Paul and Barnabas out of Antioch. But that's okay. Their work was done, and in typical Christian fashion, you know how we got our nickname as Methodists in this particular tradition, it was an insult once, and we said, okay, we'll take that and own it, and it turned into a good thing. Christians are sneaky that way. And here's what happened with Paul and Barnabas. They left and then called it their first missionary journey, sent out by the church in Antioch that did not go away, that did not cater to the scoffers or cave in under the pressure of the worldliness of the Roman people. Instead, the church at Antioch became a hub for all the world missionary work in Asia, as it was described in those days. 
Now, each one of the people groups represented in this story were people who needed a paradigm shift. You know what a paradigm shift is? It's literally a change of perspective. It means that when you look at something the same way all the time, it becomes so familiar to you that it, it never, it almost gets invisible to you. Uh, one of the beautiful things about the work that Tina's been doing to decorate our worship space is that she, she keeps you surprised. Just when you think everything is so familiar that you stop seeing it anymore, she changes the paradigm on you and rearranges things and adds new colors and new themes and suddenly you see it in a new way, even though it's a very familiar thing. That's exactly why it's important to have someone doing those gifted things. Same way with the images on the screen and so forth. If they don't change them up periodically, you'll stop seeing them. So everybody needs a paradigm shift on a regular basis. They need to be picked up and turned in a different direction so they can see the same things, but from a different angle. You ever cut down a big shrub in your yard or cut down a tree that's unhealthy in your yard and all of a sudden you see your yard in a whole new way? It's like, I never knew it looked like that. Who knew so much green stuff had grown on the wall behind that shrub? And there is exactly what we're talking about when we say a paradigm shift. These people all needed a paradigm shift and the Apostle Paul and Barnabas came with the encouragement and urging of the home church in Jerusalem and they gave them a paradigm shift. When's the last time you had a paradigm shift? You know, I was talking with some, some elders in the faith that I interact with periodically over the internet these days, and one of the things that I said was, is, you know, I feel like we're still going toward the same objective, which is what a vision is. That's why we have a vision statement. It keeps us moving in the same direction all the time. But it feels like we've just been picked up by a tornado and dropped somewhere else. And so now we have to figure out where we are and where that is in relation to where we're going and then reorient ourselves and move toward the goal even if from a different destiny or different starting point now. Everybody can relate to that. And so open your hearts and minds to paradigm shifts. And here's one purpose that I'd like to give you to chew on as a, as a response to what you've heard. Realize that just like Paul and Barnabas, you have a certain constituency, you know, people that can relate to you. People who look at you and see credibility right off the bat because of the things you have in common. Just like Paul. And realize that that's probably your mission field, that that's probably all God is asking you to do. And it sounds like a lot in some sense because we have our fears and we don't want to be rejected and we don't want to be written off, you know, and all this stuff. We do have to give up on trying to impress and, and be like our Roman worldly friends. We do have to be willing to disconnect from influential and... Uh, nasty scoffers. We do. We do have to let them keep with their own. But in the middle of all of that are people you can relate to. People like you. And like Paul and Barnabas, you can tell them about the grace of God. You can tell them about God's amazing son 
who rules your life even now as the most benevolent and gracious master. Let us pray. Almighty God, I thank you for your word. I pray now that you burn it upon our hearts, that you'll be glorified through the way that it's reflected in the lives of your people. For Christ's namesake, we pray. Amen.